So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know we've been talking about the names of God. And uh, in, in, names mean something, as I'm sure you know. Well, at least most names mean something. Uh, I think most of us English people, when we have names, uh, name, name them just because we happen to like the name, not for what it means. Uh, I mean, my name's Philip, which means a lover of horses. Well, you know... Uh, well, they're all right, but, you know, uh, uh, but I'm not particularly... And whoever named Paul, Paul, which means little, uh, I don't know quite uh, whether they got that one right, but the names of God are given because uh, they mean something about who God is. And uh, if we want to uh, uh, be true God followers, we've got to actually embrace all the things that God is, not just the bits that we happen to like. So, for example, God is revealed as a God of love. But if we only know God as a God of love, then we'll allow all sorts of things that God doesn't. Because God is also holy. If we only regard God as a judge, because God is a judge, one day he will judge the world. But if we only regard him as a judge, we will not see him as our father. We need to have a whole picture I mean, think of it as a being part of a jigsaw puzzle. You know, some people have got one or two pieces of the puzzle, but are missing several, so they've got no idea what the picture actually looks like. And some people have got, you ever done that when you've done a jigsaw puzzle, and there's a piece that doesn't fit? It's come from another puzzle somewhere. And of course, if you get the piece from the wrong puzzle, it distorts everything that you're trying to do. Some pieces have all, people have all the pieces, they just haven't put them together yet. So, for example, well, here's a, here's a little thing. Uh, I've got this six pieces there of a puzzle of somebody. Uh, you've probably got no idea with that who the person is. So please don't shout out, but just put a hand up when you think you know who the person is. So, first picture. We'll put the first piece in place. Mm. All right, no idea. Put the second piece in place. Move the stand out of the way, right, okay, okay, fine, okay, stand out of the way. Second piece in place. Somebody put their hands up, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. Third piece. Get in there. Fourth piece. Get in there. Fifth, don't shout out. <laughs> Fifth piece. Yeah. And finally, the sixth piece. And of course, you can see all the pieces there of Hugh Grant, uh, if you know who Hugh Grant is. Um, have you ever done the puzzle to find that one piece is missing? That's annoying, that is. Just as bad as being one piece that's wrong. And uh, in today's message, I hope to show you that Jesus is the missing piece. Because what we're going to look at today is the fact that one of the names of God is that he's the God of peace. And to do that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. One of the names of God is revealed as that. Jehovah Shalom. You probably know that in Hebrew, their greeting, their natural greeting with each other is Shalom. Now, this name was given in the time of the judges. So Israel had been captive in Egypt and as you know, under Moses, they all came out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the, in the wilderness. Finally, they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land under Joshua. 
and Joshua, uh, the, all the people of Israel kept following the Lord while Joshua is alive and whilst all the people that had seen all the miracles that God had done uh, through Joshua and through his time. Whilst he was still alive and they were still alive, all the people of Israel kept on following the, the true God. But then what happened when the people had seen all those miracles finally died out, then what happened is the people started to follow all the other gods, the gods who aren't real gods, the gods who if you followed some of their ways of child sacrifice and goodness knows what else they were doing, the last thing the world you want to do is to follow them. And so therefore, um, what used to happen is that every now and again, it would seem to be that God would remove his hand of protection from his people and then then because they suddenly realized that they were in trouble they cry out to God and they cry out to God and God would send them a deliverer and if you look at the book of Judges sixth book in the Bible you'll find it's the story of several different people who responded to that call and God used them to deliver the people of Israel out of the difficulties in which they were so you get people like Samson uh, and you get people like Jephthah. Interesting things. Go home and read them. They're fascinating stories. But we're going to look at one particular guy who's an amazing chap. And his name was Gideon. And his story is told in Judges 6 to 8. The, ch the children of Israel are in trouble again. They'd enjoyed 40 years of peace after the last uh, incident when Deborah and Barak had delivered them. But they'd done evil again. And the people not only outwardly worship the Lord, they worship these two guys. That one's Baal in the corner, the corner and that one's Asherah. Uh, they were God and goddesses of fertility. So you could imagine, well, you wouldn't need much imagination to know quite what their services looked like. Uh, it wasn't particularly very godly sort of things that they were up to. So God, again, withdrew his hand of protection. And this, as I said, is a recurrent theme in the Old Testament. And we do remember, that we do well to remember that God sometimes does that to get our attention. But please, don't ever get to the stage where you think that what's happening to you is a judgment from God. And he's trying to find, it's not always something that God sends you because you're doing something wrong. You know, I meet a lot of people who seem to think something's gone wrong in my life. I must be doing something wrong. God is punishing me for that. That's why it's all happening. Listen, Jesus had enough trouble and he was doing what went right. Yeah? God is not up there thinking, well, I wonder what I could send Phil. He hasn't been doing very good recently. I wonder whether I could send him a nasty plague or something just to, you with me? God is not like that. However, don't expect it that when you go completely off the rails and you're doing exactly what you know you shouldn't be doing, don't be surprised if God does withdraw his hand of protection from you because he's actually doing it for your own good. He wants you to wake up. He wants you to realize that you're not, that you, you know, that he is the center of the universe, not you. You need to be in sync with him. So don't be surprised sometimes if that happens. And that's what happened here. God, God loved the Israelites too much to let them self-destruct. So in Gideon's time, he allowed a, some people called the Midianites to come and invade the land. Now, the, what would happen is the Israelites would grow their crops, 
come to harvest time. And as soon as harvest time came, along come the Midianites and they dig up all the crops, enough to feed themselves and anything they didn't want, they just ruin. Wasn't particularly very nice. The text in the book of Judges says that Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they called on the Lord for help. And I wonder whether you've been so desperate sometimes that you called on God because there was nowhere else to go. So first God sends him a prophet. He basically says, all this has happened to you because you haven't listened to God. You've gone your own way. And uh, so the, the Israelites just ignored him. And so in the end, God sends an angel to this guy called Gideon. Gideon didn't recognize him as an angel, though. Um, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, this is a wine press. It's a big hole in the ground. I presume it's where they used to tread out the grapes in order to make the wine. It's not the sort of place that you thresh your wheat. You'd normally thresh your wheat on the open plain where the wind would blow all the husks away and just leave you with the, 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 um, with the wheat. You wouldn't do it in here, but obviously Gideon did it in somewhere like that to try and hide himself. So that when the Midianites came, they wouldn't automatically come and, and, and take everything that he had. So he was doing something that was really good in his time, you know, trying to um, protect what he had so that his family wouldn't starve. Just out of interest, you know, when God is looking for servants, for people to serve him, he always looks for people who are already doing what they can. Already doing what they can. They're not worried about position. They're not worried about fame. They're just doing what they are called to do. That's how they do it. You know, whenever we look for people in our church to fill roles, you know what we do? We look for the people that are already serving without any thought at the moment about what they're doing or how they're doing it. They just love serving. And those are the people that God can use. So here's Gideon. I mean, Gideon... He says to the angel, he says, he says, look, I'm just the least person in the least tribe in Israel. Why are you, why are you talking to me? Because the angel had called him a mighty warrior. And as far as we know, he hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't won any battles or done anything except thresh some wheat in hiding. But the angel declared that he was to be the person to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Now, Gideon didn't immediately warm to this. He didn't think he was, the, he was cut out to be the person to deliver Israel. So he asked for a sign that it was God speaking to him. And Gideon loved signs. If you read the story of Gideon, he loves it. There was a bit later on when he, he asked for his, he uh, laid a sheep's fleece out overnight. And he said, Lord, make this sheep's fleece wet and all the ground dry if this is what you want me to do. And that's exactly what happened. And then, then he wasn't, still wasn't absolutely totally sure about the sign. So he said, Lord, make the fleece dry and all the ground wet so I'll really know what I'm meant to do. And the trouble with signs is... That when you, when you have a sign, you've got to do what the thing said. You know, if you said, Lord, if you make this happen, I'll do it. The trouble is you've got to do it when it happens. And of course, in this particular case where we have Gideon here, he prepares an offering to the Lord uh, on a rock of some, some meat and some, uh, some, some sacred bread. And uh, the angel uh, just touches it with his staff and all of a sudden, whoosh, it all goes up in flames. Suddenly, Gideon realizes, I've, I've seen an angel. I've seen an angel. And, and uh, 
of course, the, the thing was with that, he, he suddenly realized that he thought he'd see, you know, because in those days, seeing an angel was like seeing the face of God. And they knew in their day that if you saw the face of God, it, you, you couldn't live. It's, there was a verse that said in the Bible, it said, no one can see the face of God and live. So he thought he was going to die through what he'd seen. But God said to him, peace, peace, Gideon, you're not going to die. Basically, I've got some great work for you to do, Gideon. And then Gideon coined this phrase, a name of God. He said, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. Now remember, in the names of God, we're not just looking at what God does, but who he is. And one of the things that a lot of people have thought throughout the years is that God is angry. Do you know, there's no verse in the Bible that says God is angry. In the sense, no name of God that says God is angry. Sometimes God is angry with things that people do, but there is no sense in which that is part of his nature. He's not angry, mad, waiting to blast anyone who displeases him as the gods of other nations were. He is peace. And this word shalom, it's a common word, it's got many shades of meaning. It carries the thoughts of harmony, peace, tranquility, prosperity, completeness, wholeness. So God is whole, meaning that he lacks nothing. He is complete. His nature brims over with abundance. He's tranquil. No one in the Trinity ever raises their voice against the other. All is calm. All is restful. God is peace. And I want to look at three aspects of God is peace that it affects us today. Peace with God, the peace of God, and peace upon earth. Firstly, peace with God. Do you know God wants you to be like him? Do you know that's what he wants to do? He doesn't want to leave you just as you are. He wants you to be like him. There's only one way you can get like God, and that's to draw close to him. Not to stay away. The trouble is, I found that the closer I draw to God, who's the source of all light, the more it shows up in me all the things that are wrong in me. You know, my, I've got a, a nice car, and uh, like this weather, you know, I looked at it in the, in the uh, dark last night, and, and it didn't look dirty at all. Looked it in the light this morning, you can see how much the dirt has got all over it, and how much it needs a clean. And so the fact is, the closer I draw to God, the more conscious I am of how unlike him I am. I think unkind thoughts. Do you? Someone shook their head. <laughs> I won't say who. But don't you do that. Don't you think? Don't, I get angry sometimes. I'm inconsiderate. The thing is, you see, if you go and ask someone in the, someone in the street, are they a good person or not? They usually think they're quite nice, really, you know. They don't swear too much, they don't drink too much, and they give to children in need every year. They think they're quite nice people. And the thing is that that's all right. As long if you're comparing yourself with your neighbour, you probably are quite a nice person. But if you were to compare yourself with Jesus who is the image of perfection and holiness and goodness and righteousness, if you were to compare yourself against him, you would immediately see how far away from the perfection of God you actually are. You see, the trouble is that what you consider to be your niceness 
is actually a veneer that protects you from really letting the light of God come and shine right inside you. It actually, in many ways, you're like a rebel trying to keep God's light away. You really don't want the light of God to shine. Because if you did, you might not like what you saw about yourself. And if you stay outside the light, you cannot experience peace with God. Because he can see what you refuse to see. I'll never forget the night. When somebody told me what everybody else thought about me, I thought I was quite a respectable, nice person. Someone told me what everybody else thought of me. And I could have rejected what that person said, but actually I suddenly realised for the first time, I'd been a Christian, I'd gone to church, I'd done all the religious sorts of things, but for the first time I actually understood that I was a sinner that needed saving. That I wasn't all that I thought I was cracked up to be. And at the same time, I also understood, in an amazing way, it kind of happened at the same time that Jesus had, had died to take on himself all that horrible nastiness that was in me, and somehow he'd borne it on himself so I don't have to bear it anymore. Sometimes I realize I was in the back of someone's car, and I remember I sang an old hymn, and it's a hymn probably none of you would know these days. It was, it was what I'm talking about something we sang 50 years ago, all right? Uh, and, 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 I, and it just said, I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give him all the glory, all you people, because his blood has washed away my stain. I suddenly understood why Jesus died. That he died to take away the consequences of my sin. And he took the powers of darkness on on the cross. But you know, you must be, you must be honest about yourself. It's only by acknowledging that you are lost that you can be found. It's only by acknowledging that you're dirty that you'll allow yourself to be cleaned. It's only by realizing that you are a sinner that you can receive God's forgiveness today. Do you know, today you can experience peace with God. Listen, it's not that God is angry with you. He's angry with the things that bind you. He's angry with the things that mislead you. He's angry with the things that destroy you. That's what he's angry with. And he wants to rid you of all of those things. He doesn't want them left in your heart and in your mind. He wants peace between you and him. But those things, whilst you hold on to them, will separate you from God. Today, you can know peace with God and you can know everything's right with between you and him just like I did at the back of that car all those years ago I knew that I belonged to God and he belonged to me I experienced peace with God and later on in this service I'm just going to give you an opportunity that's you this morning I'm going to give you an opportunity to make your peace with God by asking him his forgiveness but I also want to tell you a little bit about the peace of God. Because the promise of peace in our lives is one of the greatest promises of all. The Bible's filled with promises about experiencing God's peace. And here are some examples. This is Jesus on the night he was betrayed. 
He said this to his disciples, Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus was bequeathing his peace. It was like his last will and testament. In someone's will, they distribute, don't they, their, their, their possessions amongst the people around them. And here's Jesus bequeathing to his disciples his peace. He's saying, take it, it belongs to you. It's not peace like the world gives, which is temporary and fading, but this is peace that can sustain you through the greatest trials of your life. Here was Jesus. This was the night before he was crucified. Was there anyone who had any more need to be terrified, afraid, lost, alone? Jesus could have been like that. But actually, in an amazing way, he was at peace because he knew that his father was with him and was going to accompany him through everything that he did. So he said to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it. Do you know you can let your heart be troubled? You can allow your heart to be troubled. You can look at all the things that are around you and you can see them and you can get worried about them and frustrated about them and fearful about them. But Jesus says, do not let it come in. Have you ever let it come in? I have. Have you ever not experienced peace when you should have done? I have. But Jesus is saying to us today, do not let it. There are people here this morning who are captivated by a fear over situations. They're worried about this and they're worried about that. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it. Hold on to me. Experience my peace. Because it's my gift to you. I'm going to be with you in everything that you go through. And then Jesus went on to say this. He said this. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we're not guaranteed a trouble-free life. Got it? All right? I mean, the, listen, if ever you hear a Christian say to you, just believe in Jesus and everything will be fine. Not true. Not true. Jesus said in this world, Jesus had trouble. Yeah, he lived the most amazing life. He had trouble. But if, and if the peace you, you have depends on your situation, that your situation is nice and okay, and if that's the only kind of peace you've got, then really it's not the peace of God. Here's an illustration. Long ago, a man sought the perfect picture of peace. Not finding one that satisfied, he announced a contest to produce a masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation arrived. The judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, while the viewers clapped and cheered. The tensions grew. Only two pictures remained unveiled. As a judge pulled the cover off from one, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. 
But the man who organized the contest uncovered the second painting himself, and the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. That's peace. That's the peace God gives. The Apostle Paul says it's about peace. In Philippians, he says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It passes your understanding. You can't rationalize it. Somehow, there are times when you ought to be afraid and worried and fearful, and you can't be. There's something that, in, that, that just, just is the peace of God that so totally fills you, something supernatural, something that's the legacy of all God's children. It guards your heart. It protects your inner life. It keeps your mind from endless worries. Listen, if you find yourself this morning in endless turmoil, if you are in fearful turmoil this morning, we want to pray with you at the end of the service because we believe that the peace of God that passes all your understanding, transcends your understanding, can keep your heart and mind at rest. So we want to pray with you that that will be true for you. Finally, about the peace of God, there's this verse in Colossians which says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Literally, it means be an umpire in your hearts. I love cricket, and uh, you know, these days they have ever said every single means they have to tell whether you were in or out, whether you hit it, whether you missed it, whether it was LBW or whatever it is by these uh, uh, various uh, technologies that they've got these days. But it says here, let the peace of God be the umpire in your heart. And you know, so often, you know, when you decide, when you have a decision to make about what you need to do in your life, I in the past have always been guided by whether I feel at peace about it. And I've said, God, if this is not what I'm meant to do, please take the peace away from me because I don't, you know, I want to know whether I'm doing the right thing. And, and you know, there, there was an amazing time. I always remember this. Uh, I'd, I'd been in my first teaching job for, for about four years, thought it was about the time that I went uh, up to the next stage and got, became head of department. And, uh, and so I went for an, an interview uh, in another school in the same town where I was. Went round the school in the morning, had a lovely trip round, it all seemed fine, met the head of department, uh, met everything, and everything seemed absolutely fine. But I wasn't seeing the head teacher till the afternoon for the, uh, the, his interview with me. So I sat in my car and I started to pray, and all of a sudden, a, a tremendous lack of peace just, pers just got me. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know any reason. I saw nothing in the school to make me not think it was the right thing. A tremendous lack of peace came all over me. And it happened to be that I actually had, I went home, my, Della, my wife, was in, it was, uh, 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 we were in the same town, so I went, she went home at lunchtime and said, Della, I just feel a lack of peace about this. I said, I've met the 
the head of department, Mr. Smith, where his name was, I can't remember now, Mr. Smith. She said, oh, not him, because that used to be the school she used to go to when she was a student, and she was taught by him. He spent all his time in the staff room drinking coffee and not teaching his students. Uh, and when she was there, a petition was actually raised by the students to the head teacher asking them to sack him which they could, the head teacher couldn't do because he had no, you know, you can't do it just because the pupils want you to. But, uh, but, but that was this kind of person I knew. And then all of a sudden I knew that was the reason why I shouldn't take that job. And I didn't take the job. And eventually I got a job at the girls' school in Hitchin, which was absolutely the best job I could ever have had, which was wonderful. So let the peace of God umpire in your hearts. If you've got a decision to make, ask God, Lord, give me your peace if this is the right thing. And if not, Show me in my heart that it's the wrong thing to do. So there's peace with God. There's the peace of God. Finally, just is there going to be peace on earth? Everybody wants peace on earth. The angel proclaimed it at the first Christmas, didn't they? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Well, there is peace from God, but unfortunately there still isn't peace between all the men. As you know, if you look in our world. Jesus said we'd have trouble in the world. And as the end times approached, he said, there would be more wars and more rumors of wars than had ever been in the past. I've seen this illustration several places. The numbers vary slightly, but you get the picture if I give it. Apparently, it's been calculated that in the last 6,000 years, the world has only known 300 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,000 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of the property destroyed will pay for a golden belt round the world, 100 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Since 650 BC, there have been 1,656 so 1, arms races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder ended in the economic collapse of the countries involved. That just says, show, is there going to be peace on earth till Jesus comes back? No, Jesus never promised it. He never said that's what was going to happen. In fact, as he said, he said the world. The devil's mission, according to Jesus, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's doing it pretty well at the moment with those people that follow his ways. But one day, one day, one day it's going to finish. One day... A new heaven and a new earth are going to come, as promised by Jesus, where peace will reign forever, where there will be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more anger. There's going to be a time when Jesus reigns. Until then, there will always be those who hate our message, just like they hated the message that Jesus gave. And yet, Jesus also calls us in the midst of all this to be peacemakers, doesn't he? He calls us to be, remember in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And so he calls you and I today to be a peacemaker. In one verse he says, as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. So as much as it lies in your hands, don't be the stirrer up of violence, all right? but you be the one who is a peacemaker between those who want to fight. Until Jesus returns, there will not be peace all over the world. 
But let us be the source of peace in our community. And let's pray for peace between men and women. And so we reach the end of what I want to say, but remember that these three things. This morning, God wants you to have peace with him. He wants you to understand that he's just angry with the things that separate you and him. And whilst you refuse to acknowledge those things, and whilst you refuse to bring those to the light, there's just a barrier between you and him. But if this morning you'll understand that actually he took the most amazing bearing upon himself to die on a cross, to somehow relieve you from all the things that separated you, if that's you today, he wants you to experience peace with him today because he wants you to know that all that's been taken away. You don't have to bear it anymore. And then he wants you to have peace, the peace of God, the peace that guards you every day of your life, the peace that is beyond understanding, the peace that just is his will, his bequeathing, his, his giving to you, his peace that he wants you to experience every day of your life. It may not experience peace in your circumstances. It won't necessarily be peace across the whole world. But you can be an oasis of peace because you experience the peace of God yourself. So can we stand together? The band would like to come up, Will. So what I wanted to do this while, while every eye is closed, every head bowed, if you know this morning that you do not have peace with God because you've never let yourself come into the light, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want you to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Clean me up so I can have a new life with you. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to do something that's really brave. I want you just to raise your hand to God. Say, Lord, that's me. That's me, Lord. I need this from you today. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Thank you. Is there anybody else who wants to say, Lord, Lord, that's me. Thank you. Lord, I want to know your peace in my heart. Lord, forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. Thank you. Lord Jesus. And will those, if you, that's you, then just pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it. Just repeat it after me. And if you haven't had the courage to, to, to put your hand up, pray it anyway. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've done something to take the bad out of me and to put something new in its place. Thank you that in dying on the cross, I've been made clean. Let your peace fill my heart as your forgiveness washes my soul. Thank you, Lord. 
And if you'd like to come and talk with me at the end, any of those who prayed that prayer, then...